Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 26th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, I do not have a guest co-host. That's because I have a bit of a shorter story for you that still needs your attention right now. And it's a story that I know really well, because it's an unsolved case that I covered as a local news reporter, and it's frankly one of the cases that made me want to start this podcast. But first, I would not leave you ever without your weekly wine recommendation, so let's go ahead and get to that. This week, I want to tell you about my new go-to wine. You can almost call it like my safety wine because it is the bottle I get whenever I just need something that I know I'm going to like and I'll enjoy and I'm not in the mood to necessarily like branch out. I just want like a good bottle of wine. So this week, I am drinking Slow Press's Cabernet. It releases the purest, most concentrated flavors and a smooth finish too. It's aged in oak barrel and delivers notes of dark fruits and blackberries that complement robust and velvety tannin. So, like, let's break it open. There you go. Okay, I will say, as much as I've, like, drank this so many times, um, I've never, like, really paid attention to the flavors, and so that's why I wanted to do it today. And so, okay, so so we were talking about oak barrels, which is really interesting because I'm not usually into barrel-aged wine. Um, so that's really interesting that this is like my go-to that I didn't even real I didn't even notice that it was um oak barrel aged. So let's let's find out. Okay, now that I'm paying attention to it, I definitely do taste some some barrel-aged for sure, and a little bit of oak, dark fruits and blackberries. I mean, I could have told you that before. Um, but you know, this is just, it's a very bold, classic Cabernet. I mean, this is, again, if you like a Cabernet, you're going to like this one. It's just, it tastes just like a Cabernet that, you know, you all love, you all go to. It's just, you know, it's a feel-good Cabernet. It's my go-to. It's the Cabernet that I drink every single time. I just need to, like, a really chill night in, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, not liking my wine. I know I'm going to like this, and this is what I go for. So hopefully you'll all join me in a little bit a slow press. Okay, let's get on to our story of the week because I have a lot to talk to you guys about and I know you guys are going to be absolutely floored with this story. I can't wait a single extra second without telling you all about it. So this episode is going to come out in July, but I am recording this in June, right in the middle of Pride Month. And this week, I want to tell you a story about the brutal, ruthless, and callous murder of a member of that community. It's a shorter story, so sorry in advance that this episode is going to be a bit shorter than you're all used to, but it's because there isn't a whole lot out there that's been written about this case. But I believe that those stories are just as, if not even more important to share. So this week, I want to tell you the story of Jenna Franks and the body in the creek. I am taking you all back to the relatively small city we visited back in episode six of this podcast. It's the Mariah Woods case, a really riveting story. Go check that out if you haven't heard it yet. I lived in Jacksonville, North Carolina for a year, working as a local news reporter there, and I feel like we described it pretty well in episode six, you know, what it's all about, what it all entails, but let me tee it all up again. It's the home of Camp Lejeune, the largest Marine Corps base on the East Coast, and that identity defines this 
city, as it should. Pretty much everyone who lives there has some sort of a tie to the Marine Corps. And for that reason, it's a very proud city, right? The few and the proud, with an extraordinary number of things to be proud of there. There are dedications and memorials on every block to some different group or sect of the military. It's also a very transient community. The bulk of the people who live there spend a few years there before they go off on some deployment or end up leaving the military altogether, but it's also transient in the sense of having a lot of really main roads around the state, traveling through the city to get to some true eastern North Carolina destinations. Emerald Isle is just a drive away, Topsail Beach, and Wilmington is just down the road. And it's one of those cities that you just have to get through to get to one of those destinations. But it's also one of those cities where you can really get to it from any other part of the state, too. The major highways and five-lane roads are the true infrastructure off of the base. So, surely there is so much buzz, so much attention to the lifestyle that is the U.S. military, so much pride that it would take a monumental kind of tragedy to take attention away from what this city has to be proud of. We know the Mariah Woods case met that bar, but a case that is just as tragic and just as callous but completely unsolved, has flown under the radar for far too long. On February 24th, 2021, city maintenance workers were in the process of clearing debris from a draining ditch in the area right off of a creek near Ellis Boulevard and White Street. It was a pretty typical day for them. Nothing really new, nothing really to write home about, right? They were camped out on the bike trail that ran through the area right next to a playground and a pretty busy main road. The workers, though, get a pretty big shock. They're clearing debris when they notice something really strange, you know, just out of arm's reach. As they get closer to this large object floating in the creek, they realize that it's a human body, and it's horrendously decomposed. They call police who arrive on scene as normal and process it through and clear it, you know, just in a couple of hours. Now, Here's where I'm going to interject a bit, because, you know, remember, again, I am a local news reporter in town at the time. All of this is happening. And that day, I got a tip, actually, about a body that was found in this area. But I didn't hear a thing from police. I even remember going to the scene, surveying it and looking around in the general area, but didn't see a thing to report on. As far as I was concerned, it was a bad tip at the time. There was no sign of any kind of investigation at all. It wasn't until a week later when police say a word about this body. They announced that a body was found in the creek indeed, and they were now treating the case as a homicide. Police said that they did not initially believe it to be a homicide for whatever reason, but let me tell you, the wounds described in the autopsy are unmistakable, but we'll get there a bit later on. Police say that the body belonged to 34-year-old Jenna Franks, and they initially use a different name. That's because Jenna identifies as a transgender woman and has identified that way for years, long before she ever lived in Jacksonville. This is what I don't really fully understand from my perspective about this point in the case. I remember asking a police spokesperson about why they were using her dead name or the name of a person who identifies as transgender, you know, the name that they're given at birth, not the name that they choose when they're tra- when they transition. The department's response to this effect was that they will u- often use all sorts of names if they think it will be more helpful to get people to come forward with information. 
but Jenna was well known in the community as Jenna, and she was well known in the area's LGBTQ plus communities too. Jenna was someone who struggled with chronic homelessness. She would often couch surf and family friends said it was because she was often looking out for her friends who were also homeless above herself. Jenna had other life obstacles to overcome too, but her family and friends and counselors at the county's LGBTQ plus center said she was well on her way to overcoming those obstacles, getting back on her feet and achieving those goals. Friends described her as upbeat and had hope no matter what life had thrown at her. She was really working hard to figure out who she was and who she was going to be when she finally had accomplished her dreams. She was loving, friendly, and always putting others before herself. And so, her tragic and untimely death sent shockwaves throughout the community. And when her friends and family found out how she had died, it terrified them to their very core. Hi, Crime Over Wine listeners. I'm Rachel. And I'm Heather. Now we know how much you love Liam's expert research and professionalism. Over at the Wine Time Podcast, you'll get the same expert research, but definitely a lot less professionalism. We cover all things mom, including mom crimes. Here's a quick clip. He did not make a mistake. This is routine. This is who he is. This is something that is going to continue. And you either take charge and you fix it, get out of it, whatever it may be, or you choose to live through it. And if you choose to live through it, like this is a mom cast, whatever, if you choose to live through it, that's on you. Do not put your children in that position. They do not deserve that. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Jenna's autopsy showed that she was severely decomposed. Like I said, her face was barely recognizable and it is not at all all clear how long she may have been in the water. The autopsy also said she had been stabbed multiple times to her neck and her legs. This was information that simply terrified members of the transgender community in the area. They were already minorities everywhere they went, let alone in a small city like Jacksonville. And now the thought of someone being out loose in the community and killing people just like them, well, that was enough to make you never want to leave the house again. I also remember that this became a much larger picture around the time that this investigation was playing out. In Charlotte, just about four and a half hours west of Jacksonville, there was an investigation playing out into the deaths of two transgender individuals. In April of 2021, two men were charged with murdering Jada Peterson and Remy Fennell in a hotel room in West Charlotte. And Jenna, Jada, and Remy were far from the only ones whose lives were snuffed out of them by hate. According to the Human Rights campaign, murders of people who identify as transgender or gender nonconforming doubled from 2017 to 2021. Jenna's murder was the 10th violent death of a transgender person in 2021, and 2020 was the deadliest year ever for people who identify as transgender. 44 people who are transgender were murdered that year. Last year, in 2022, that number was 38. So far, in 2023, there have been at least 12 murders of people who are transgender or gender nonconforming. And part of that does, of course, come from someone who is trying to target members of this community. But the rest is from the circumstances that so many transgender people fall into in their lives. And Jenna falls into that bucket, too. LGBTQ plus people are twice as likely to experience 
experience homelessness in their lifetime than non-LGBTQ plus people. 8% of people who identify as transgender have reported being homeless in the last year. 17% of LGBTQ plus people have reported experiencing homelessness at some point in their lifetime, compared to just 6% of heterosexual and cisgendered people. And 20% of LGBTQ plus people reported experiencing homelessness before they even turned 18. I say all of that to say that sometimes the circumstances of your life that are completely out of your control dictate your path. And in the case of Jenna, and in the case of so many other people who are just like Jenna, that path can lead right to danger. So, if you need help, know there are so many resources for you that are accessible right now from wherever you are listening to this podcast. We are going to put a whole list of resources on our website and in our show notes too. And just know that if no one else is going to say this to you, I will. You matter. You belong here. And we all love you. I'll be right back. Okay, so uh, first of all, I do have a confession for you all, um, you know, in reviewing this bottle of wine, um, now that I'm about halfway through my glass, um, I will say that um, it does say right smack on the label, there's a logo right in the front um, that says Oak Barrel Aged Vintage 2020. Um, and, you know, if you listen to the beginning of this episode, you did notice that I didn't that I said I didn't realize that it was oak barrel aged. Um, so now I feel a little silly. Um, but um, hopefully you all can forgive me on that. I know you're all going to come after me on that for <laughs> on social media in some way, shape, or form. But point being, um, is you really, it's a very subtle flavor in the wine, um, which I am really, really, really strongly appreciating. Um, but again, the more I drink it too, you know, uh, like the, the, the darker flavors are really starting to materialize too. You know, this is very much so a, chill out wine like this is not like a you know go out and do whatever wine because this is a wine that you i really actually think you know really want to be able to appreciate every single um flavor in fact even on the back i'm just noticing right now it says uh, right at the very top of the back side of the label it says rush less sip slowly enjoy more which i think you know might be my new life motto so let me know what you think about that. But let's get back to the story uh, because I ha- just have a little bit more to tell you about. And, you know, we're really going to, you know, give you a little bit of a call to action at the end of this thing. So let's hang on and let's get back to Jenna. As the days and weeks turned to months and years in the Jenna Franks investigation, police had never publicly named a suspect or even a person of interest in the case. The FBI did get involved pretty early on in the investigation, however, and said that they are indeed investigating Jenna's murder as a possible federal hate crime. Police also gave a description of, like, the kind of person they believe may have killed Jenna. They said they weren't sure if Jenna knew her killer or if they are looking for more than one person, but did say they found evidence that Jenna likely willingly met the person who killed her, not knowing that her life would end. The person who committed this crime, the FBI says, knows the area where Jenna's body was found well, and it's possible that he, she, or they still lives and works in the area. Listen to a detective on the case talk about the person who's responsible. It is likely whoever killed her is familiar with the area where her body was found and may continue to live or work in the community. We aren't ruling out that the killer moved away and are hoping someone hears this message and comes forward with information. 
as the reality of what had happened to Jenna sunk in, her friends and family were determined to not allow anyone to forget her name, her real name, until the person responsible for killing her was behind bars. The Onslow LGBT Center, where Jenna had turned for help so many times throughout her life, opened Jenna's House, a home for people experiencing homelessness, specifically people in the LGBTQ plus community, to turn to as they make their transition to a house lifestyle. Through the program, the center would continue their work, helping the most vulnerable community members find stable footing and would provide housing housing, and job training to keep them there. In the months after Jenna's death, her friends and family found themselves sad, scared, and confused. A vibrant young person with every intention of setting their life back on track was gone. In April, just two months after she had died, her friends and family held a celebration of life service, and the LGBTQ plus center director posted on Facebook some of the notes that people who knew Jenna wrote as ways they would remember and honor her. I asked some friends to read them for me. To look among our fellow family and friends we haven't met with a simple smile, to let them know that I myself know what a smile can mean in the darkest of times. I am freed. I will also fight for freedom of others. Don't stop now. Keep pushing. Jenna's death is still an open investigation in the eyes of the Jacksonville Police Department and the FBI. There is a $15,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. If you know anything about the brutal murder of Jenna Franks, call the Jacksonville Police Department at 910-938-6414, Crime Stoppers at 910-938-3273 using case number 21-00540, or the FBI at 704-672-6100. That is all that I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening and caring about Jenna's story, even though it's a bit more abbreviated than you all are used to listening to this podcast. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are loving this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it, the best way to help others to discover this podcast is by leaving us a review and a rating wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.